This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3RRRFM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Bob Brown. Bob is a conservationist, former leader of the Australian Greens Party and also a former federal senator. He joined me on the show to talk about climate change, the fight to stop the Adani Carmichael coal mine, as well as the conservation issues that are currently being faced in Tasmania and Victoria. I'm going to be speaking with, in just a few seconds, Bob Brown, who you, I'm sure, would know, was elected to the Senate in 1996. He was also uh, an MP in the Tasmanian State Parliament for 10 years. So he's been really advocating um, on behalf of society, but also for the environment for decades and decades of his life. And he was uh, the parliamentary leader of the Australian Greens also for a number of years and so uh, Bob Brown, he now has a wonderful foundation called the Bob Brown Foundation, uh, which you can find out everything about by looking at bobbrown.org.au. And he's the founder of that foundation. And we're going to now speak with Bob, who's going to be appearing tonight um, as part of a panel event about climate change for La Trobe University. It's called Climate Change in Australia, Where To Now? It is on uh, Tuesday the 17th, so tonight at 6.15pm. I believe it's sold out, um, but you can actually live stream it. So do head on to the La Trobe University website to look for the live stream link. Um, and Bob Brown will be joined by... David Ritter, Amanda Cahill and Maisha Moyne and it's going to be uh, moderated by Professor Katie Holmes. So without further ado, I welcome Bob Brown who's joining us on the phone to the show. Hi there, Bob. Good morning, Amy. Good morning and thank you so much for joining us and for giving us your time. Pleasure to be here. Um, there's so many subjects and topics um, that are important to the issue of climate change, and it's great that it has finally you know, gathered more and more momentum, given that we're now going to see a global climate strike this Friday, um, and it seems like there's a lot more um, visible activism around climate change in the last couple of years. But this is something that you yourself personally have been engaged in for I'm sure, a lot longer. In terms of your um, experience as an environmentalist and as a politician, previous politician, um, when did climate change come onto your radar? Um, because presumably it was not necessarily mainstream in our political debate at that time. Uh, in the 1970s and 80s, it was looming. In fact, uh, late 1960s, Australian scientists started talking about it. Although it goes right back to the mid-1800s when a woman scientist in the United States, and she had to, had to get a male to present it to the American Academy of Sciences because women weren't allowed those days, warned that carbon going into the atmosphere would, would heat us up. How right she was. And here we are now, not uh, facing climate change, but in the middle of the greatest threat that uh, humanity in all its hundreds of millions of years on this planet has, has had. It's self-made. Uh, we know the last great catastrophe for life on Earth was when a, an asteroid ploughed into the planet 65 million years ago, and that was the end of the dinosaurs, plus much else. But this time, uh, we know the cause is us, and we can turn ourselves around, unlike that asteroid. 
but there's uh, little sign of that except there's hope in young people and, and uh, Friday's climate strike by the school children uh, and youth of Australia and they're asking us all to go and I'll certainly be at the one in Hobart is a, a great is going to be a global demonstration of the need for action um, it, which is so lacking in the Australian government one of the worst in the world but in governments right around the planet Yes, it's so uh, inspiring and exciting to see young people, especially um, young people from primary school age, engaging, not just talking about it, but actually going out onto the street and protesting. And I know that, you know, when I grew up and was young, um, I certainly engaged in a few protests myself, but it was a very, very rare thing for children to protest and galvanise behind an issue. Um, is this something that you have seen before this in terms of, um, you know, people who are not even yet teenagers? Well, there's always been a, a youthful component to concern about the environment, but it's it's very much heightened now. And there's a choice here, Amy, for all of us, no matter what age we are, that is get depressed by what's going on in the world or by the lack of action or get active. And it's much better to get active. You know, I spent a, a, a decade depressed when I was a youngster about what was then the Cold War and the threat to the planet from nuclear weapons, one that hasn't gone away, by the way. But I found it was much better to get active and, and became, uh, firstly, I, I was lucky enough to become a young doctor and go to Tasmania, but became active in the environment movement. And um, that's been uh, a really, you know, the beauty of this planet. We're part of it. It can do without us, but we can't do without it. And it gives us everything we've got. And yet uh, humankind is uh, exploiting it beyond its ability. So that last year, for example, on the roughest figures that are available, 150,000 people died because of climate change, because of the heating planet. That's so far. Just uh, a few years back, I was saying it was 20,000. And it's going, the predictions are very dire. So that... Uh, um, a child, a very young, a preschooler now, by the time they get to my age, in Melbourne, where there's eight, average eight days over 35 degrees centigrade uh, heating, you know, the hottest days now, is going to be facing up to 30 days over 35 degrees centigrade in her or his uh, by the time she or he gets to my age. Now, that's pretty... And, and a proportionate extra number of days over 40 and so on. It's, uh, it's becoming, um, it, it, it's going to make beautiful, livable places like Melbourne um, much more unlivable and worse as you, you get into hotter and drier climes. And we're looking at, at a drought which um, estimates are putting uh, in, in southeast Australia and part of the southwest now costing 12.5 billion dollars but you rarely see on television at night whether it's commercial or abc or sbs that link to burning of coal but it is directly worse worsened by the linking by the burning of coal and yet we've got governments at state and federal level who say we our answer our response uh in uh, to this climate change threatening our economy our lifestyle our, our well-being and those of our kids 
is to burn more coal and uh, open up more gas wells and to get more oil. It's daft. And, um, you know, the, the greatest contribution our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has made to this is said he's going to pray for rain. <laughs> well, he said that some months ago, and the, the answer has been worse drought. And the forecasts are no great rain until at least winter next year. And, you know, uh, cities the size of Dubbo, 34,000 people in western New South Wales, facing no water by November. They're going to have to cart water in. Um, unprecedented due to climate change, due to burning coal. Uh, and our greatest hope is not at the Prime Minister's office. It's with ki uh, kids in primary schools. They've got more common sense than our cabinet in Australia in 2019. Exactly. I couldn't agree more, Bob, and you've put it in a very, very clear way, the, the choice that we have and the fact that the debate we're having is ideological rather than rational and pragmatic. And I know that just recently we've seen really, really disastrous fires happening, particularly in Queensland. And, of course, before that we've seen horrible flooding as well. So we're seeing so many more extreme weather events and predictions of uh, one of the worst bushfire seasons in recent memory um, and we've seen Queensland in particular be the centre of attention and particularly the centre of activism for um, preventing new coal mines because of the Adani Carmichael coal mine. And I know that you've been very involved in that campaign to stop Adani from uh, proceeding. In terms of that connection, given that we've just only recently in the, in the last few weeks seen the devastating impacts of um, drought and bushfire and, you know, a, a looming summer um, which is just around the corner, how do you understand or... Um, put into context the fact that we see all these extreme weather events and horrible things occurring right now, not even into the future, and yet there's not really um, as much pushback as one would expect from those who are living in states like Queensland uh, against new coal mines being built. Well, 90% of Australians in May this year voted for more coal mines. Indeed. How, but how, how does one explain that kind of disconnect? Um, well, you know, human beings have got a denial mechanism and when it's uncomfortable news, even if it requires action for the individual or the collective's own well-being into the future, very much uh, tend to shut the mind. You know, I'm reminded of 1937 when um, British Prime Minister Chamberlain flew over and met Hitler and signed a peace in our time declaration and flew back to London and announced peace in our time and the church bells ring, rang and a million people turned out and everybody was skipping in the street and 18 months later they were at war uh, because uh, the wish that everything would be okay overcame the rational look at what a brute they were dealing with in Hitler. And we've now got the situation where the wish, wish that everything will be okay is overcoming the rational look at this brute of self-induced climate change. And big money has bought democracy. And I'm afraid uh, I'm talking to an exception here now, Amy, but the media, uh, and particularly the mainstream media, and, and in particular the Murdoch media, has a huge responsibility for touting climate denialism or, uh, you know, just watching on... Um, 
uh, public TV the other night a story about the bushfires, then there was one about the drought, and then there was another one uh, related to the impact of climate change. And nowhere was climate change, global heating, or coal burning mentioned because they all uh, don't want to get calls from the big corporations or angry politicians saying you shouldn't be mentioning climate change. So, but really, again, uh, here Friday, it, well, we've got this great seminar La Trobe University's putting on tonight. Robert Mann there rang me about this, and then he's got the other panellists together, and I was glad to hear you just say that it's been booked out. People are concerned about it, but, you know, uh, we've got to convert, as the schoolies are doing, that, con- that concern into action. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid... The response from state and federal governments in this country is to bring in more draconian laws to prevent peaceful protest, and that's a real worry. And Labor and Liberal and National Party and independents like Pauline Hanson are getting together to bring those laws in uh, right now, and there's very little debate about it. We saw another one go through the federal parliament just uh, a couple of days ago. So... um, uh, it really is up to us all to be much more active, bringing our politicians, going to events like Friday's climate stri- strike and giving what we can to uh, social and environmental organisations which are active. That's the key to it. See that they're active. Uh, not just the brochures coming out, but they're really taking action to avert the climate uh, the worst of the climate disaster which we're already uh, having upon us. Indeed, I think people underestimate the power of contacting one's local politician or senator and telling them that you're concerned or upset about a certain policy that's been proposed or voted on because, you know, if politicians don't get that message loud and clear, they will think they can get away with getting these uh, laws through by stealth because, I mean, you know, if you don't see that public pushback, pushback, they'll think they can keep um, getting away with things. In terms of uh, Tasmania, I know the protest laws there are certainly contentious and you've been focusing on those yourself um, and there are a number of reasons to be protesting in Tasmania of which you've been really leading the charge. Um, could you share with us some of the you know, concerns that you currently have in Tasmania around the environment? Well the, the government there brought in draconian anti-protest laws so if you stood in front of a, a chainsaw headed toward a 500 year old tree full of wildlife you faced up to four years in jail. And uh, that was a situation that arose in a little forest called Laponia in northern uh, Tasmania uh, a couple of years back. And uh, we, uh, I and some locals were arrested there. Um, We took the case to the High Court, and the High Court ruled that these laws were cut right across our democratic right to peaceful protest. But... um, more, the logging continues, and um, yes, our foundation uh, has made a big stand in the Tarkine Rainforest, which is Australia's biggest temperate rainforest. It's 100,000 hectares. It's the nearest great rainforest to Victoria, although there's pockets of wonderful rainforest uh, in, in amongst the equally threatened great um eucalypt forests of the Victorian Highlands Mm. where rare and endangered species are being uh, smashed down now by the Andrews government with the Commonwealth government backing it 
at expense, you know, and ta- taxpayers in Melbourne are paying to have that happen, but keep voting for these these uh, governments which are um, destroying what's so important as an heirloom to be handed on to future generations. In Tassie, we've got we've just had the swift parrots arrive back. Um, some uh, where uh, I live on the south coast of Tasmania and. They come from Victoria, they come up here for winter and they've just arrived back down there and there's just a thousand pairs left. There used to be great flocks of these right from Sydney through Mildura to to Adelaide. Um, now they're down to a thousand pairs and guess what? The Tasmanian government, backed by the federal government, is logging nesting sites of these birds uh, which are now internationally recognised as critically, critically endangered. So I have to wonder, what do we do about that? Um, the populace keeps putting tax cuts and uh, debate and chatter about uh, how to get more money in one of the wealthiest countries ever on the face of the planet. As our, in, as our, as we've got in Australia, an estimated third of our birds will go to extinction this century, and worldwide scientific estimates are three-quarters of the world's birds. Now, these are descendants. They're the one descendants of the dinosaurs that made it through that cataclysm 65 million years ago. Birds are direct descendants from the dinosaurs. And yet three-quarters of the current world species of birds will be extinct by the end of next century at the rate we're going. And, um, of course, destroy if you... If you haven't got trees, you haven't got nesting sites. You haven't got nesting sites, you haven't got birds. So I say to myself, well, they're bringing in these laws that are going to send you to jail. But isn't it your duty, Bob Brown, to go and stand in front of those chainsaws regardless? Won't the next generation be angry that we didn't step off the footpath? We didn't get out of our armchair. We didn't go and make a stand against this breaching of nature's laws which is seeing our planet being destroyed in front of our eyes by greedy uh, materialists who have bought governments lock, stock and barrel in 2019. Absolutely, they will, I think. And it's real, there is no excuse to not um, stand in front of those trees, I agree. And uh, we've certainly covered the Central Highlands on this show a number of times and it's absolutely disturbing, especially given the regional forest agreements are currently being uh, updated and redrafted as we speak. So it's um, going to be concerning to see what happens out of that. Um, Bob, I know you have to leave. I just wanted to finish on um, the discussion around wind farms in Tasmania. And I know you've copped a lot of flack from the Murdoch press around this issue, which just seems absolutely ridiculous to me, given the the fact that you should be able to have a nuanced position um, on renewable energy. In terms of the birds that you've just been talking about, these wind turbines that um, are proposed to be put in place in Tasmania are going to threaten and endanger um, a number of very important species of birds. Where are we up to in that fight? Well, currently they haven't opened it yet for public submissions, but they're moving ahead with getting approval at state and federal level. This is a big wind farm on uh, an island just to the northwest of Tasmania's mainland, but right in the path of the migrating birds, like that swift barret that I was just talking about, but many others uh, that migrate between 
both the mainland and Tasmania. But a lot that come from Siberia and Alaska each year um, through, and they expect off that very island, are large mudflats where they get their feed and they recover. Incredibly important to them. And uh, the Aboriginal community is now alarmed too that there's a million mutton birds, shearwaters, fly back to that vicinity each year. And they come from the Northern Hemisphere. And they're going to be confronted by hundreds of these towers with spinning um, ailerons, the wings of the wind turrets that are 270 metres high. Now, that would stand out amongst the skyscrapers of Melbourne. And the birds simply get uh, smashed down by them. And there's 80 wind farms in Australia. I know there's problems with this very same phenomenon here in Victoria. And where is the government, state or federal, which has said, here is the limits for renewable energy? Like here is the mm-hmm. limits for coal mines. Here are the limits for every. Here's the limits to, to um, uh, driving. You've got to have rules for it. But uh, so far, it's been open slather, and it's a time time it was brought into order. And the Robins Island wind farm in Tasmania is a step too far. Absolutely, um, Bob. I know you have a new book coming out that people should look out for called Planet Earth, um, and yeah, I hope that people do get to watch the event tonight, whether they're there in person or live streaming it. Because I think you've really brought it home just how urgent and important this issue is and should be to all of us. And um, thank you so much for the constant advocacy and activism that you engage in on behalf of the environment. Thanks, Amy. It's great to be with you. I've been speaking with the wonderful Bob Brown, who is a former senator in the Australian Parliament, former leader of the Australian Greens and a lifelong activist and protector of the environment. And um, he really really probably needs no introduction. And um, I hope you do get along to his event tonight, which is at La Trobe University. Um, It's hosted or convened by Robert Mann, as Bob mentioned there. And you can watch the live stream on the La Trobe University event page. Um, It starts tonight, 6.15pm until 8.30pm. It's going to be, I believe, at the NGV um, in the Cleminger Auditorium. And it also features Dr David Rita, who is um, a very well-known and environmentalist and also Amanda Cahill and Maisha Moyne and so um, yeah it's about climate change and it's a debate really about Australia and where do we go from here so I hope you do get along to that and we can post the link up to the event page. I'm Amy Mullins and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.